The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14 day trial at RainmakerPlatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers, from online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Kelton Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediaphile. And each week, we'll find out how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Award-winning designer and marketing consultant, Pamela Wilson, who's helped small businesses and large organizations alike create big brands since 1987, stopped by to chat with me about what it's like to run the blog at copyblogger.com and her mission to publish impeccable online content. As head of the editorial team for Copyblogger Media, she helps guide an abundance of educational content for one of the top online marketing, blogging, and copywriting blogs in the world. Pamela's unique point of view comes from the marriage of design, branding, content, and conversion, something she's coined customer experience design. In this file, Pamela Wilson and I discuss how coming to writing late can work in your favor the difficulty of designing a remarkable online presence, why you should commit to writing 750 words a day, the hallmarks of great online writing, and why Picasso is an inspiring model for writers to follow. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating or review in iTunes to help other writers find us. Thanks for tuning in. Pamela Wilson, thank you so very much for joining me on the writer files 
I am so happy to be here. You know, I've told you like five times. I'm so happy you invited me to the writer files. Well, it's truly a pleasure to have you on and I can't wait to pick your brain and get into your file. Awesome. I'm ready. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about you, the author. For listeners who aren't familiar with your story, and I'm sure that many of them already are, who are you and what is your area of expertise as a writer? So the funny thing is, I actually think I'm probably the least likely writer to appear on this series because I came to writing really late in my career. But I I like to think that that might be helpful for some people who don't think of themselves as writers because you may have a different area of expertise, but writing really is something that you can learn. So we'll talk about that a lot today because it's something I learned and it was an important part of my professional development. My history is that I was the person who made writers' words look great. So I was working primarily as a designer, but also as a marketing consultant. And in that work, part of what I did was People would give me Microsoft Word documents and that had very little formatting in them. They, it was just basically the words on a page. And what I would do is make those documents look fantastic, make people want to read them. I'd pull photos to put with them and format them and, you know, give them nice looking fonts and colors and all of that to draw people in and make them want to read them. I did that primarily through publication design, magazines, books, newsletters, and things like that, some online design as well, but primarily print. And all my career, that's who I was. I was the person who made the words look good. I never supplied the words myself. Um, I had this award-winning design business, so I did you know, really well at that part of my career, but no one was asking me to write. Every once in a while, somebody would give me copy and they would forget to give me a headline. So I might Hmm. write the headline for their copy, but that was about the extent of it. That was the most I ever wrote, except for like emails to clients. That was about all I ever wrote. But back in late 2009, I started to feel kind of antsy because I'd been doing this for a long time. And I felt like I'd figured out this system that worked really consistently for all of my clients to help to build kind of a recognizable brand. It was relatively simple. It wasn't expensive to implement. And it worked really consistently, like without fail, it always worked. So I felt like I had figured something out and I wanted to share it. So I decided to write a book. This was the fall of 2009, and I was kind of obsessed with this idea that I wanted to write a book. (laughs) And right around that time, I found Copyblogger. I don't know where I'd been hiding online, but I had not found Copyblogger up until that time. And around that time, I did. And just a few weeks after I found Copyblogger, they launched Teaching Cells. So I joined Teaching Cells because I thought, well you know, maybe this is a way to share my information by teaching it online instead of trying to write a book. And what happened as a result of taking Teaching Cells is I put together a blog, Big Brand System, and I started writing for it consistently in January of 2010. So really that was when I started writing. It's only been a little over five years. Wow. So... I saw you speak at um, Authority Rainmaker 
conference and it was it was really and truly inspiring a session you did there and you talked about customer experience design which i thought was really really cool um a lot about content and kind of um building that warm personal relationship so, so you were doing that online as kind of proof of concept i guess I was, I was, and it was very, one of the things I talked about in, in that talk was the fact that it was so disconcerting to have this offline business that had worked really well and that I thought kind of relied on having this personal connection with my clients. And then I went online and I was like, well, how am I supposed to have a personal connection with people I can't even see? And it was a huge revelation to me that by crafting really useful and approachable and friendly content, you could make that same kind of connection. So you could make that connection with your writing. That was a huge eye opener for me. I hadn't realized that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So where can we find more of your writing? Well, nowadays, so you can find a lot of my writing on bigbrandsystem.com, but nowadays I'm actually running the day-to-day copy blogger blog along with Damian Farnworth and Stephanie Flaxman. And so I write for copy blogger a lot more than I write for big brand system nowadays. So nowadays you can mostly find me there. And what happened with that is I, I got this inspiration when I was at this concert way back in 2010. So it was right after I had started my, my own blog, I went to this Bobby McFerrin concert and I I just got like hit by a bolt of lightning. And I was like, you know, what he's doing in this concert is what I need to be doing with my online business. So I got home from that concert and I told my family, okay, I need to do something in the office. And I kind of closed myself in my office and I wrote this post and submitted it to copy blogger. And it was published on Copyblogger, which was a huge moment. You know, it was a very exciting moment for me. And then I started writing for Copyblogger on a regular basis, developed a nice relationship over time. And and now, as you know, I've been working with Copyblogger as a member of the team. It's been just a little over a year now. And all of that happened because of my writing, because of this thing that I had never done before. Yeah, yeah. So... So what projects do you have in the works presently? Well, at Copyblogger, the big thing that I'm working on is helping to tell our story in a more cohesive way. As you know, it's a very complex company that we work for now. The offer is not something that's easy to sum up in just one sentence. So that's a lot of what I'm working on now is how to tell that story in a way that everyone understands the story right away. The one thing that I've kind of zeroed in on is that all of our products, whether it's Studio Press, the Genesis framework, or the child themes, or it's the Rainmaker platform, or it's Synthesis, or any of our educational products, Authority, or anything else that's really focused on helping to educate people on how to run an online digital-based business, All of those things are trying to help people to build a remarkable online presence. So Mm. that's the story I'm trying to tell about what we do as a company, because I think that one story kind of brings everything together. Absolutely. That's really cool. Um, So let's get a, let's talk a little bit about your productivity because you're a busy lady with all of the things that you get into on a daily basis. How much time per day would you say you're reading or doing research? 
So I've listened to a few of these interviews before. You do such a great job. So I enjoy listening to them and they're very inspiring. And I, I hear people answer this question and they say like, oh, I spend two hours researching or I spend four hours reading. And I always think to myself, like, are those consecutive hours? Because hmm. my day never works like that. I don't have a chunk of two hours or four hours. It just never seems to work out that way. I, I would say if I added up all the little slices, I probably spend two hours total, but it's divided into a lot of very thin slices. Mm. So I, I like to listen to audiobooks while I exercise. I probably spend 20 to 30 minutes reading throughout the day mm -hmm. um, and probably an hour researching things on websites, but it's kind of like five minutes here and five minutes there. Right. It's, uh, I don't have this research hat that I put on and just, you know, close out the world and, and <laughs> sit there and do my research. Um, I, I have this alternate universe where I live, where I just like, I spent all afternoon sitting in a hammock and reading and researching and thinking about what I'm going to do the next day. But like, I don't actually live there. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not what my day usually looks like. No, no. Mine either, as you can probably guess. Um, so let's see, let's talk about before you kind of get into the, get into the writing, uh, mode, do you have any pregame rituals or kind of warm up practices? So the weird thing about this question is that I, I have thought about it and I've realized that my pregame ritual has to do with my body position, which is, hmm. a, this is going to be a weird answer, but hmm. what I have found is no matter where I am, because I do travel quite a bit, I, I seem to do my best, fastest, most productive writing sitting in a chair with my legs crossed under me and like my laptop balanced on my knees. I have hmm. no idea why this is, but whether I'm here at home in Nashville or I'm traveling somewhere, I always seem to sit in that position and that's how I write. So it's kind of good to have this body position that works because then no matter where I am, as soon as I sit down cross my legs, stick my laptop on my knees. I'm like in writing mode. It's really weird, but it, it's very consistent with me. Hmm. You're like a writing yogi. <laughs> That's funny. It is. It's like a meditative <laughs> position. I hadn't thought about that, but my fingers are not meditating while I'm doing that. I have to say, um, do you have a most productive time of day or locale? I, well, locale doesn't seem to matter as long as I'm in position. So that's the good news because I do, I move around a lot. So that has worked out well to just kind of recognize that that seems to be what works for me. But as far as time of day, I would say first thing in the morning after a good night's sleep and after I've had my morning caffeine is probably the best. Oh, yes. I, I get the most done. Absolutely. Well, you're kind of a globetrotter, much like Sonia Simone. So I guess uh, you have to find that perfect locale wherever you may be, be it Barcelona or elsewhere. Right. I think so. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, the other thing that I've noticed is I get so much done when I'm locked on a plane. Mm. I don't know what I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's because you may have Internet, but it's usually kind of spotty. Yeah. So you tend to just have that off and you want something to do to pass the time. And so you end up writing. I, I do anyway. I always get so much done on planes. Hmm. Austin Cleon said the same, same thing. 
maybe I should fly more. <laughs> it's it. I don't know what it is. It's like you're locked in this metal tube and you need to do something to pass the time. And so I was on this flight a few months ago. I actually, I think it was on the way back from authority and I was doing the usual thing. I had my laptop open on the table in front of me and I'm trying to get all this stuff done. And you know, it's a little bit awkward because you have this person who's like right on your elbow next to you and mm -hmm. you're, you're just trusting that they're not looking over your shoulder. So I did all my writing. I got it all done. And then just as the flight is ending, she turns to me and says, like, this was the first thing that she had said to me the whole flight. I've never seen someone use a trackpad so quickly. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> compliment or <laughs> I know hard to know how to take that <laughs> and I guess you were watching so that told me everything I needed to know so first the bad news SAP business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Do you um, stick on the headphones while you're writing or do you prefer silence? I usually prefer silence. It works better for me to not have anything distracting me. That's actually something I kind of miss from my design days because when I was working on purely visual things, I used to be able to put music on in the background really loud and I could listen to whatever I wanted and it would just kind of inspire what I was doing visually. Hmm. And I really can't do that when I write. It's too distracting. So I miss that. I kind of miss my my music. How many hours um, do you, would you say you put in when you, when you do settle in for a session? I'd say it's about an hour. Sometimes it ends up being less. Uh, I love it when I can put in a full hour. I can get a lot done in an hour. Um, but because I'm writing, but I'm doing a lot of other things, it's usually not much more than that. I wish it was more, but I don't usually end up having more than that much time. Are you also of the school of writing every day? Oh, yes. I'm a huge believer in that. Actually, I have a post going up on Copyblogger uh, I think it's actually this week that we're talking about what I do to write every day, which is I use a site called 750words.com. Hmm. And this, it's a very cool site. It, you basically sign up for it. There's a small fee. I think it's $5 a month or something. And then you commit to writing 750 words every day. And this is a great length, in my opinion, because 750 words is long enough to be a blog post. So if you're a content creator, it's a way for you to get a blog post written. But oftentimes, I don't use it for that. I just use it to physically write, to sit in front of a keyboard, put my fingers on the keys, 
and make them move and make words come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I just find the act of physically doing the writing is what makes the ideas flow. Hmm. And that's what my post is about, actually, that that has ended up being a, a very surprising side benefit to me anyway, that the act of sitting down and writing every day has actually helped me to come up with some amazing ideas and to solve problems that I could not figure out when I just thought about them. Hmm. There was something about like writing about them that it it sounds strange, but it it's like it allows you to tap into this part of yourself that's really wise and that already knows what to do. And somehow you make that connection and by writing those ideas can come out. So I I wrote about it in this post because it was a surprising side benefit that I was not expecting. And it, it works so consistently now for me that if I have something that I'm puzzling over and I can't figure it out, I just kind of say, well, you know, I look forward to writing about it because I have a feeling as soon as I write about it, I'll know what to do. Yeah. I like that a lot. So we'll link to the, the post and to the, um, the website that you mentioned as well. Great. Do you, do you believe in writer's block? I don't, I don't because for me, I, I think the physical act of actually typing words on your keyboard is all you really have to do. I read this book a while back and I'm sure someone else has mentioned this at at this point in your series, but there's a book called Accidental Genius by by Mark Levy. Mm -hmm. And it's really about the act of writing and being completely unattached to the end product that you get. Mm. And that made a huge difference for me when I was getting into the rhythm of writing on a consistent basis, because it just made me realize that whatever I wrote didn't have to be great. It's more about just the practice of writing that counts. And a site like 750words.com is a huge help as, as well because they send you these email prompts and the email prompts basically say, look, you don't have to write a masterpiece, just write. That's hmm. all that matters. And what I find is when I write consistently like that, it, it's almost like you nurture that connection in between your brain and your fingertips and you leave that channel open and you you make a strong connection and it's just easier to tap into your thoughts and easier to write overall. So writer's block is just not a problem for me because I have that connection kind of reinforced because of my daily habits and my leg crossing and all that crazy <laughs> stuff. It just seems to work pretty well. Nice. We'll link to Accidental Genius as well. I know um, another guest, I'm... I'm blanking on who else mentioned it, but, but it has been brought up before and now I'm going to find it myself. So let's talk about workflow a little bit. Um, what uh, hardware or typewriter model are you using? I know you're not using a typewriter cause you can't <laughs> balance that on your knees while you're no. doing yoga. Yes. <laughs> Writer's yoga. No, it's a little, little tougher with a typewriter. I use, I had a 15 inch MacBook pro and I just recently switched to a 13 inch because of the travel. It's a little bit lighter. Yeah. I know a lot of people at copy blogger use the MacBook airs, but I work enough with images and audio and video that I really needed a little bit more power. So I, I do have a MacBook pro 
just to, for the processing power. But even just moving from a 15 inch to a 13 inch was a huge uh, relief as far as just walking through airports with the laptop on your shoulder because it's so hmm. much lighter. Yeah. Um, do you have some favorite software that you use most for writing and kind of your general workflow? I do. You know, one of the things I discovered a few years ago was how easy mind mapping software made my writing. Hmm. So what I will typically do is, and not for every post, but a lot of them, if I have some ideas, kind of disparate, random concepts for a post, I'll open up a mind map and start dropping those onto the mind map. And any connection I make to any of the original ideas, I just build a branch and add that connection. And what I found is by dumping my thoughts out like that, because my thoughts don't tend to be organized when they come in, they just come in and they're not sort of in any logical order or any, you know, they're not presented to me on a silver platter all organized. They just kind of come in randomly. So what I found is if I can put them onto a mind map, that gives me a place to register everything and then move it around and reorder it until it starts making sense. And then typically what I do is take what's in the mind map and then I just paste it into a text document and start fleshing out each section. And most of the posts I write start like that. Well, let's, let's get into maybe some best practices for staying organized. Do you have any tips, tricks, or ha hacks for us? I mean, the biggest hack that I have is something that I discovered a few years ago, which is I try not to give myself such a long to-do list to do every day. So it sounds kind of counterintuitive that you would actually get more done when your to-do list is shorter. But what I found is when I had a to-do list that had seven or eight or 10 things on it, I didn't tend to get to everything. I, I tended to only get to a few things because I always way underestimated how long things would take to do. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you write your to-do list and you think you're superhuman and somehow time is going to warp for you and you're going to be able to achieve all this stuff and you yeah. forget about all the interruptions that you know you're going to have. And so you write this super ambitious to-do list. And then at the end of the day, when you only have a few things checked off, what ends up happening is you feel terribly guilty. I do anyway. <laughs> I look at all the things I didn't get to and I feel terrible at the end of the day. So what I ended up doing a few years ago is I switched that around and I tried to just have three projects to focus on every day. Now yeah. that doesn't count things like, of course, I have to deal with email and you and I both end up, you know, having to deal with people contacting you on HipChat, for example, at Copyblogger, we use HipChat to communicate. So there's, there's all those things that take time out of your day. But what I found is counting all those things, I can usually get three other projects done. Hmm. So I try to make a to-do list that's very realistic and has those three things on it. So what ends up happening is every once in a while, I get to three o'clock and I'm done with all three things. And it's a completely different feeling. You still, you know, you had this list of eight things and you only got three done. And so then you felt guilty about the five that you didn't get to. But when you have a list of only three things and you get them all done, it's like, 
wow, what am I going to do with this extra time? Maybe I could do something from tomorrow's list, you know? Totally. So that has been a huge just attitude shift toward my to-do list. And I've tried to just basically take on less and be very realistic. Um, Do you have any best practices for beating procrastination? Uh, Deadlines. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just deadlines, really. I mean... Everything I did when I was working as as a designer was deadline oriented because I was doing a lot of print design work and the designer is only one person in a long process. So the client gives you the information. Typically, the client needs to get approvals on whatever you submit, and then it has to be finalized and sent to a printer. A printer actually prints the job. The job has to be delivered. So everything in that process has a deadline, and I got very used to having to hit deadlines. I mean, if my business was going to make it, I had to hit my deadlines. That was just a thing I had to do. So in order to succeed in business, I had to learn to do that and and kind of structure my time so that I would be able to hit the deadlines as promised. And then the other thing is just not wanting to disappoint people. I think, you know, you have coworkers or customers or you have followers. I still write for big brand system and there's a post that goes up every other Wednesday, uh, at 6am Eastern and like, come hell or high water, that post has to go up. I don't want to disappoint. And I'm sure nobody is sitting there with a stopwatch watching it, but I feel like I don't want to disappoint anyone. So that self-imposed deadline seems to work really well for me. Nice. So how does does Pamela Wilson unplug at the end of a hard day? (laughs) So... I work at home, which is always a struggle, I think, because you have like this siren song of your laptop that's glowing over there in the corner. (laughs) And at the end of a long day, a lot of times you end up being drawn back to it. So what I do to get away from that is I try to just change location, even if it's just in my house. So the house I'm in now, I, I moved to Nashville about a year ago. And we have a house that has a basement and there's actually a space down in the basement. It used to be a kid's playroom, but now it's Pamela's playroom. (laughs) So I have have all my art supplies down there. And, and that's actually a place that I enjoy going and kind of cranking the music and making artwork and doing stuff with my hands. So that's a huge help to just go to a different location and, and do something different than what I've done all day long. I feel the same way about cooking at the end of the day, honestly, because after spending all day in front of a screen, tapping on a keyboard or, or working with a stylus pen, you know, it's great to go into the kitchen, get your hands dirty and like chop things. So I enjoy (laughs) that as well. And I like, we have woods behind our house. There's a little path through the woods. So I like walking in the woods and reading, you know, all the usual stuff. And then I do watch TV. There's good TV on nowadays. So I do watch it occasionally, but it's usually like my last choice of things to do. Sure. Um, And it usually puts me right to sleep. So (laughs) like, it it might take me three days to watch a show that's an hour long because I watch like 20 minutes and then I'm like... So I'm not a very devoted TV watcher, unfortunately. Um, that's funny because I have that same malady. It's it's great. It, I think it's great to put you to sleep. You just turn it on really low and it's kind of glowing over there in the corner and 
It's I, it works every time for me. I think my husband gets frustrated because he's like, oh, man, <laughs> yeah, this is going to take forever to get this show watched. <laughs> he's very patient about it. Significant others do love when you fall asleep during a, an important uh, scene <laughs> without fail. I know. I know. Every once in a while, I'll say to him, like, it's just keep watching. It's OK. Just tell me what happens tomorrow. <laughs> I'm really sleepy. So. It's like you give them permission to keep going, right? Just a quick pause to mention that The Writer Files is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform, the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14-day test drive at rainmaker.fm platform. Well, let's talk about creativity since that seems to be such a big part of your life and work. How do you define creativity? I love this question because I think each person really is going to have their own creative answer is going to be a little bit different. My angle on creativity is that, and this is very much a designer's way of seeing creative creativity. It's, it's very much about combining things that aren't normally combined, combining things in a surprising way or looking at things from a slightly different angle. The one thing that I do believe it is, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of touching on this theme over and over, but I really believe that creativity happens through action. So we have this image of this creative person who's, you know, sitting still under a tree and this bolt of lightning hits them when they're sitting there. And I don't think that actually happens. I don't think we just sit there and suddenly we feel creative. I think creativity happens when we are in motion, doing something like typing on your keyboard or creating some kind of artwork or doing something with your hands or walking through the woods. I, I just feel like action is what makes creativity happen. Hmm. Do you have a creative muse? I don't really have one creative muse, I would have to say. I mean, I, I feel like I've kind of built my whole career out of the ability to tap into creativity all day long, you know? So it's not something that I have to feel inspired about. I just, it's just kind of a part of what I do. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's kind of how it works for me for some reason. Sure. Well, when do you feel the most creative personally? I, I mean, that's the thing, Kelton, it's, I don't see it that way because I honestly feel like I can be creative all day long. It's, it's a little bit of an energy thing. I mean, I think toward the very end of the day, last night, for example, it was getting toward the end of the day. I was finishing up some slides for a webinar that I had to do <laughs> and I was, it was going slowly, you know? So I walked away cooked something, had a glass of wine, you know, like I relaxed and got away from it. And then I came back to it this morning and it came right out. It just came together very quickly. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit of like you run out of energy, but as far as actually tapping into the creativity, I feel kind of like it's always there. Yeah. So I don't, the, the whole muse idea, like I, I just don't see it that way. It doesn't work that way for me for some reason. Let me ask you. What makes a writer great? This is such a great question because it's something that I'm thinking about all the time now that I'm helping to run the Copy Blogger blog. Because what we are trying to do at Copy Blogger 
is to become the premier resource for content marketing professionals. So we want our our posts and everything we put together, so our infographics, our ebooks, everything we put together, we want it to be the most clear and helpful resource out there for content marketers. So that is a big goal. And when we're looking at posts, whether they're our own posts or posts that we bring in from other writers who we're working with, I'm always looking for clarity. That's the big thing. I'm not impressed with people who use a lot of big words or people who string together these very complex sentences because I think in the end, everyone is busy. And if your writing is easy to follow, then it's it's better. Yeah. Um, I always think people need to just kind of get to the point, spit it out, don't stumble, uh, say it as clearly as you can, try to make a connection with the reader. And, and that's what's going to make you a great writer. Don't try to impress people with complex sentences and, and long, obscure words because you'll end up, instead of impressing them, you'll just end up losing them. Yeah. Do you have a few favorite authors at the moment? Well, Mark Levy's Accidental Genius, I mean, it really changed my approach to writing. So he's a definite favorite. And then, I mean, it's kind of boring because um, I read a lot of nonfiction. I'm not reading a lot of fiction lately. I'm not sure why. It's been a long time since I've read fiction. I just tend to read nonfiction. There are so many different things I want to learn. So one of the things that I'm reading a lot of lately is books on management because in this position at Copyblogger, it's really a management position. And even though I had my own business before and I had freelance employees, it wasn't really a management situation. It was my business and I was kind of the CEO of the business passing along information to them, but it wasn't the same kind of situation. So now I feel like I'm in more of a management position. And of course, I want to rock at it. I want to be like hmm. really, really good, right? So I'm reading a book right now by a Navy captain named L. David Marquette. And he wrote a book called Turn the Ship Around with an exclamation point. Hmm. And it's about how he applied these management techniques within the context of the Navy, which is very much a top-down management structure his technique is basically putting the power back at the bottom of the structure and sending it upward. So it's a it's a different approach to management, and I love it because it kind of empowers the people who know best what your organization should be doing. And then I'm also reading this book called Reinventing Organizations. That is by Fr Friedrich Laloux. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but it hmm. looks like that's how you pronounce his name. <laughs> I have this really bad habit of reading two books at once. So in the case of these two, they're both about management. And they're kind of complementary, so I'm not managing to confuse myself, but I have a bad habit of picking up several at once and starting them. So, the, But those are the two that are kind of on my night table right now. Cool. Yeah, I'm the same way. I pick up. I will pick up multiple volumes and have and really just kind of rotate through and have no idea where I am at any one given time in any in any tome. Do you have a best loved quote? The, this is actually a tough question to answer because I I collect quotes. I've been <laughs> collecting quotes for years because there's something about a really well formed quote 
that I just love. It's that clarity thing. You know, it says mm-hmm. so much in so few words. So I used to actually, my last set of business cards for my design business, I got them custom printed with 16 different quotes. So oh, cool. I used to tell my clients like, oh, it's like a playing card. Let's see which one you got, you know, because it could be one of 16 quotes. So I couldn't choose between the 16, so I got all 16. So. <laughs> but one of my favorites, and this is kind of like the story of my life because I've had so many new beginnings in my life. There is a quote that just struck me and it says, the world is round. And the place which may seem like the end may also be only the beginning. And it's by George Baker. It's a good one. I love that one. Let's do a couple fun ones. Do you have a favorite literary character? Well, as I told you, I read a lot of nonfiction. So there aren't a lot of characters in that. So I I think to answer this one, I have to go way back in time. One of the first characters that I really related to and I connected to was a character in a book by Beverly Cleary. I think I read it in like (laughs) third grade, Ramona the Pest. And I loved that book because she was was always getting into trouble. She always managed to get herself out of it, but she was always getting herself into trouble. And she had all sorts of spats with her family and her friends. And she just seemed very real. So I loved that character. It, It goes way back in my life, but that was the first one that I felt like I really connected to. If you could choose one author, living or dead, for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite restaurant, who would you choose and where would you go? So I have to tell you, Kelton, this is the question I have most been looking forward to answering. (laughs) Because I heard your interview with Austin Kleon, and Austin said something about, like, he'd never want to take Picasso to dinner. (laughs) And the first thing I thought when I heard that was, That is totally who I would want to take to dinner. So Picasso wrote books. I mean, we know him for his artwork, but he wrote books. Um, So he he qualifies as an, you know, an author that you could take to dinner. Right. But I would totally take him to dinner because as a creative person, he he is someone I admire so much. I actually wrote a post for Copy Blogger years ago about Picasso and about his work ethic. So in the process of putting this post together, I did some research and I saw that in his lifetime, he produced 50,000 unique pieces of art. Yeah. So if you look at his career, that's, you know, if you kind of divide it up over his lifetime, that's like 632 pieces for every year that he was working as an artist. So that's like more than a couple of pieces most days, right? Amazing. And that that so inspires me because when you think about the great artists of the world, Picasso is always on that list. And if you've seen his work in museums, it's very impressive. But what you're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of pieces that we will probably never see. What I realized when I saw those numbers and when I saw his his artwork is that it, it goes back to this idea that it's creativity is really about taking action. It's not about the end product. It's about actually doing the thing. And what I noticed with Picasso, because I've always been interested in his work and in his life, 
I tend to kind of gravitate to his pieces if I'm in a museum. So I've seen a lot of Picasso pieces and most of them are amazing. When you see them in person, they're bigger than you expect. Many times the colors are more vibrant. You can see him, you can almost see his movements in the brush strokes. So that's, it's really impressive to see it in person. But the other thing that I notice is it's not all good, you know, <laughs> right. like not everything he did was a masterpiece. And there's something that's weirdly comforting in that for me, because you, you just realize like, wow, if I produce enough, if I just churn out enough creative work, some of it is going to be amazing. I mean, if you think about it, like 50,000 pieces, like one, even if only 1% is amazing, that still is like 500 pieces of artwork that you've created that are masterpieces, right? Right. And nobody's going to talk about the others, but it's the act of creating that much work that helps you to create that 1% that really, really sticks out. Hmm. So to, to circle back, where would you take Picasso to dinner? Well, I speak Spanish, so this is something that, um, you know, not everyone knows about me, but I was an exchange student in between high school and college. I lived in Colombia, South America, and I learned to speak Spanish fluently, so I would definitely take him out to dinner, probably in Barcelona. Yeah. We'd go out for paella, and we, you know, we'd make a reservation for like 1030 because he don't start eating <laughs> until really late. So, yeah, it would, it would be somewhere where he felt like he was comfortable and in his own territory. And I, we would speak in Spanish and it would be awesome. That's cool. Do you have a writer's fetish? I, I mean, I, I would an iPhone count. So sure. Like, okay. That's like my, <laughs> that was like, I, it's the only thing I can think of because so I got a new phone last year and I got one of those big ones, one of those six pluses. It's like the most expensive, small piece of technology I've ever had in my life. Sure. But now that I have it, it's like my favorite way to read books Yeah. because I either, I can read them on Kindle or on iBooks and it's big enough that it feels like you're reading a small paperback. Hmm. I used to travel around with my tablet and I don't take it anymore because I just use my phone. And then I, you know, I have audible. So I listen to books on, on audio as well. So I would say that's probably it. I mean, I don't know if that counts as a fetish item, but that's, I think that's the closest I can come. Well, you've d dropped a lot of great, um, knowledge for writers already in this session. Can you offer any additional advice to fellow writers on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? I would say stop thinking about it and just start doing it. Um, thinking about it is probably your worst enemy. What you really need to do is put your fingers on your keyboard and move your fingers. Because if you do that, if you do what I was saying earlier, you kind of assume the writing position it won't take long for your brain to kick in and start flowing down into your fingertips and giving you ideas about what to write about. But you have to assume the position first. You have to be in position to receive those ideas. And doing that on a regular basis will help you to keep that connection so that you can keep the ideas flowing. For sure. 
So where can fellow scribes connect with you out there or online? Well, I, I still want to write that book. So at some point I will write a book and maybe I'll bug you. So you have me back on here. Absolutely. Um, but for now, the best place to find me is on the copy blogger blog. That's where I'm writing more than any place else these days. They could also find me on big brand system. I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. So I'll give you both of those accounts. That's a good place to connect as well. Great. Um, I, I would love to connect with people who've heard this and keep talking about creativity. It's one of my favorite topics. Absolutely. Pamela, thank you so much for stopping by the writer files and um, sharing some stories with us. It's been really, really a, a pleasure. Thank you, Kelton. I appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to the writer files. Now go write your 750 words. I'm about to do mine. For more episodes of The Writer Files and all of the show notes, or to leave us a comment or a question, drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter, at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there.